Um, these hoverboards are fascinating. Um, the kids can do them, but if I step on one of those, I'm going to have an injury. <laughs> Dr. Kevin Terrio received his doctoral degree in social work from Arizona State University. He spent the majority of his 40-year career working in family services for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in addition to maintaining a private counseling practice. On this episode, Dr. Terrio offers valuable insights on how to recognize when mental health counseling would be beneficial and how to choose a mental health specialist. My name is Katie Houston Davies, and this is Mental Illness in Me. My name is Kevin Terrio. Um, I have a PhD in clinical social work. I received my bachelor's degrees from Brigham Young University, my master's degree from Arizona State University. I worked for uh, three or four years and decided if I was going to do this the rest of my life, I really needed to have that PhD. And so I went back to Arizona State University and acquired that degree. Uh, my uh, professional career uh, has all been uh, working for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, in their mental health uh, arena or department. Um, and that particular department is called Family Services, where I did uh, a lot of one-on-one -on -one counseling for the first 30 years of my career, and then uh, went to their headquarters office where I oversaw a lot of their online uh, and print things that dealt with mental health issues. Uh, I've been retired two years. I continue to see a handful of people uh, in counseling just because I enjoy it so much. But that's kind of my professional background. I have been married uh, for 44 years. Uh, my wife and my wife Kay and I have four, five children. Uh, three of them live here in Arizona, and we have one in Ohio and one in Utah. We have 16 grandchildren, um, and uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess. Before we go any further with the interview today, I do want to put a little disclaimer in that nothing I'm about to say has uh, should be considered as mental health therapy. Any of the ideas or suggestions that I might make are try at your own risk. The thing that becomes fascinating about sitting down with a mental health therapist is that I can collect a whole bunch of information and give more specific suggestions and treatment ideas uh, when I know the, the, the client or the patient that I'm working with. In a podcast, obviously that's impossible to do. So I, I just want to make sure that I have that disclaimer in there that no one's going to sue me because of any advice that I give and it is not to be construed as mental health therapy. Thank you so much for that introduction, Dr. Terrio. I am so looking forward to what you have to share with us today. And I think a question that a lot of parents have is, when do I know if my child is in need of some counseling? Can you address that for us? The thing that becomes interesting, and you'll hear me use that word a lot, because what I do for a living is very interesting. No two days are ever the same. But the thing that becomes interesting when it comes to kids is 
we always there are four basic components that you want to take into consideration when you're looking at your child and trying to uh, figure out whether they need mental health counseling and what kind of mental health counseling they might need. We have a word, uh, it's called biopsychosocial. And what that word actually means is there are biologic factors, there are psychologic factors, and there are sociocultural factors, all of which can go into a diagnosis and treatment when it comes to mental health. There's a fourth component as well that uh, the profession is beginning to take note of, and that's a spiritual factor, which some people would include under uh, sociocultural. It's a, it's a little different in, in its context, and uh, hopefully as we go through tonight, I'll be able to tease that out a little bit as to why I think it's uh, a separate category all by itself. But the first thing you want to do as you look at uh, your child, and, and again, if you feel your child is struggling, uh, the first place you want to go is to your pediatrician uh, to try and rule out any biologic uh, factors that might be playing a role in the behavior or mood or uh, decisions that, that your child is displaying. Um, and uh, in today's world, if you have any suspicions that uh, illegal drugs or alcohol might be involved, you may also want to encourage your uh, pediatrician to throw in a drug screen um, and make sure that uh, that's not part of what you're viewing or, or part of what you're witnessing. The next thing that you want to do is you want to look at your child's behavior. We have a little phrase, we call it at home, at school, at play. Um, Does your child display the behavior or the decision-making in all of their social environments or is it limited to just one social environment? For example, uh, if they seem to be great at home and great everywhere else except at school, there may be things going on at school like bullying or other things that might explain uh, the behavior. If uh, home is the only place they display uh, the behavior, then we might want to look at at the home. But if they're displaying it in all of their social environments, at home, at school, at play, uh, then you may be looking at something uh, that isn't caused Um, by any specific environment. The other thing you want to to take note of is uh, whether or not the mood or the behavior has a sudden onset or has it been building over time. Uh, If it's a sudden onset type of thing, you may want to try and look for a trigger. Is there something that has changed in the child's uh, environment? Uh, was there a traumatic event? Uh, did, was there a change in diet? Was there a change in uh, living environment? Was there, you know, some other kind of change that might have that might better be able to explain the behavior that you're noticing? I think that that's an interesting one. As a teacher, um, I taught high school for many years, and I. I knew that if a child suddenly behaved in a way that was contrary to how they normally acted in school, 
that that meant that there was something else going on. And it took me a little while to learn that, but always there was some sort of external factor. And I had to learn as a teacher not to fly off the handle if the kid was really rude or did something, you know, inappropriate, if generally that was totally out of their character. Exactly. I'll give you an example that sometimes parents aren't aware of uh, as to why a child might uh, be displaying a certain behavior pattern. Uh, I remember our parents uh, brought in a little four-year-old child one time for counseling because she was displaying some interesting behavior. And uh, I brought the parents in first uh, and talked to them for a few minutes. And it didn't take long for me to figure out that these two people really hated each other. <laughs> oh. and, and there was a lot of dysfunction and, and negative energy between the two of them. Well, I brought the little girl in and, and uh, with the parents and developed a rapport with her. Uh, and then I sent the parents out. And the little girl and I, you know, we played some games and did some things. Uh, but then I asked her the question. I said, do you know why your mommy and daddy don't get along? And her little head dropped and she looked at the floor and, and she shook her, her head yes. And I said, I said, why? And she said, because I don't pick up my toys. Now, it's interesting. Uh, children don't think the same way we do. They don't process information uh, the same way adults do. Given the age of the child at four, when she said, because I don't pick up my toys, it made perfect sense to me. She was trying to figure out how she caused the two most important people in her life to dislike each other. And she concluded that it must be the thing that they yell at me the most for, which is picking up my toys. Well, if nobody goes in and corrects that, uh, and, the, and the child grows up with the belief that they are bad, because what kind of kid would make their parents dislike each other, a good kid or a bad kid? And it's obvious. They, they conclude, I am a bad child, and that becomes the foundation of, of their sense of self. And it can be very uh, disruptive to their further future self-esteem, self-worth, self-value, all that kind of stuff. Well, again, this is just one example of things that, uh, you know, parents who are so involved in what's going on in their life, let's say Uncle Harry dies, uh, or a divorce occurs, or, uh, you know, some other tragedy happens, the parents are typically all wrapped up in that. And, and they don't quite understand that at three, four, five, if the child goes through extreme trauma or is exposed to extreme trauma like that, they can easily develop this uh, interesting problem. Now, it can be corrected very easily. Uh, if somebody notices, and to these parents' credit, they noticed. It was like, there's something going on here. And when they brought the child in, I was able to then help them figure out how to address that. Again, you know, some of the unusual symptoms, if the child is displaying unusual physical symptoms like frequent headaches, uh, unusual anxieties, you know, suddenly they're afraid of the dark where they haven't been before, uh, or sudden changes in sleep patterns or unusual weight gain or loss, and especially with adolescents when they're playing uh, 
contact sports like soccer, football, uh, this kind of stuff, or uh, if they're riding their bike or their scooter and they fall. But any blows to the head, that kind of thing, and, and then, you know, you notice a change in behavior, those are all uh, things you want to pay attention to. Now, if any one of the things I just mentioned uh, is present, you know, you might want to think about mental health counseling. Uh, again, looking at all four aspects of it, the biologic, the psychologic, the, the sociocultural, the spiritual. But uh, if your child is expressing suicidal thoughts or feelings, uh, I don't care if they didn't answer yes to any of the aforementioned questions, it's time to seek professional help. Again, in summary, the more of these indicators that your child has or displays, the more you might want to consider visiting with a mental health professional. Diagnosing a child is almost an art form, though, because children do go through developmental stages, uh, and we expect certain types of thought and certain ways that they process information. And so, you know, if an adult were to display the same types of thoughts or behaviors an adolescent child did, we would definitely find them diagnosable. <laughs> but adults are a little different. And if you're thinking... Uh, as the adult that you may need mental health counseling. Again, I would continue to suggest your first step is rule out any biologic symptoms first and go into your uh, family doctor, get a complete physical exam with a full blood workup to make sure that there's nothing there. Uh, for instance, one of the, the diagnostic characteristics of diabetes is depression. Uh, and you can talk to me all day long and it's not going to address your diabetic condition uh, if you're feeling depressed. If you've experienced any unusual changes in, in diet, physical environment, there is a thing called seasonal affective disorder uh, where a lack of sunlight can actually trigger depressive symptoms. Allergies, uh, you know, again, seasonal allergies or food allergies, that kind of thing loss of support system, all of those uh, are things that if you're experiencing those and having a difficult time, it might be helpful to seek out mental health counseling. Uh, serious injuries or accidents, uh, again, it's interesting, someone who receives a blow to the head uh, and has uh, what we might call a traumatic brain injury or TBI, um, they're going to be the last people to, to uh, connect those dots or to say, gee, my depression might be connected to that head injury I had. Uh, they don't have that level of insight typically, and it's going to be the people around them that are uh, may be the best source of information and help in a situation like that. If there's a family history of mood disorders, if your mom and dad both experience depression and you start to experience depression, uh, then we're definitely going to be considering a biologic uh, route for that. The, um, and again, the question of um, have these things that you're going through been, being experienced over a prolonged period of time, or is there a sudden onset? If it's sudden onset, then we're going to be looking for a trigger. Uh, that's our fancy word for, you know, what was the thing in your environment that caused that? 
with teenagers, what are some of the most significant challenges that they are facing that are affecting their mental health? Here, you could probably ask a hundred different mental health professionals that question, and you're probably going to get a hundred different answers. Um, and so I would couch my answer in that context. In my opinion, uh, children need to develop emotional resilience. They need to learn how to deal with failure uh, at a young age. We talk about the school system's approach to there being no losers, no winners. Uh, and though it's well-intentioned, I worry that it has had some unintended consequences when it comes to our children going th through the school system and, and not being prepared adequately to deal with failure because life is full of failure. Uh, and anyone who has any experience as an adult, I think would agree with me. Um, during, a, during childhood, I encourage parents to work with their children almost in a, a well, I'll, I'll call it a sheltered workshop environment where they, they get to control all aspects of a child's life. If Can you, you give combine, an example? Oh, sorry. Well, sure. No, the, no, the, your question's a great one. What's an example? Um, the child wants, uh, let's say, a, a cookie. And the, and the parent says, no, you can't have a cookie. Uh, and the child experiences that sense of deprivation. And then the parent says, but if you want to do a chore, uh, if you want to take the, the broom and sweep off the porch, or uh, if you want to come up with a chore and think of one on your own, I'll let you earn that cookie. And then the child goes, oh, okay, well, I want the cookie and I don't have it now. And, and now I have hope that I can get it. How do I get it? Well, I'm going to sit down with my parents and say, if, if I go over and pull those weeds out of the garden, can I have that cookie? The parent would want to say, sure. And then the child goes, does the chore and gets the cookie. That cycle of deprivation, hope, accomplishment ideally is repeated over and over and over again in the home so that the child begins to feel a certain sense of, of power uh, when it comes to uh, being able to get what they need uh, from their life. I worry today that children have so much and they, the parents, uh, because maybe they experienced deprivation in their childhood. They don't want their child to be deprived of anything. Uh, and so they don't teach the child that deprivation, hope, accomplishment model. Uh, and again, to me, that's real life. Uh, that's life in the adult world. And as parents, really, our goal is to prepare our children for the adult world, not some artificial world that doesn't exist, but because we can't change real life. Uh, we have to prepare our children to be able to function within it. Kids need a moral compass. And again, if parents think that they're going to find that moral compass outside of the home, 
parents need to think again because uh, outside of the home, that compass is uh, not real consistent. Parents need to teach their values to their child, whatever those values might be. Uh, ideally, they want to teach their children that personal happiness isn't found in wealth or fame, but that lasting happiness, which is different than fun, okay? Lasting happiness is a product of perspective, attitude, and charity. Um, that ideally parents are teaching these concepts in the home uh, because they're not being taught uh, in, our, in our schools or anywhere outside of the home, especially they're not being taught in uh, video games or the internet. The, the last thing I would uh, draw your attention to with reference to your question of what, are, what challenges are kids facing? Comparison levels. You know, kids tend to look at what they don't have. Kids tend to look at the glasses half empty. And that's not to say anything bad about a child. That's just the, the way they look at life. They always uh, are comparing themselves to people in situations who have more. Parents are the ones who need to help the child understand that if they look at the glasses half empty, they'll never find happiness or, or peace. Uh, parents need to help children look at the glasses half full. Now, how do you do that? There's nothing like uh, a trip to the homeless shelter or serving the poor or, or doing things where children can see that there will always be people who have more than them. There will always be people who have less. And that it really is a choice to look at what you have as opposed to what you don't have. And ideally, of course, parents are modeling that for their child because that's a concept that not only helps kids, but also helps us as adults. Did I answer your question? Yes, definitely. Though I did want to ask, you said that not teaching kids to deal with failure can have unintended consequences. I'm wondering what that might look like in a, a high school setting or even a middle school, elementary school setting. What behavior might a child display when they haven't been taught to accept failure in the home? Uh, entitlement would be the word that comes to my mind. They believe they're entitled to pass that class that they don't have to do work, they don't have to do anything, but just their presence is, and sometimes they don't even want to do that, but they feel like, you know, I don't have to do anything to earn anything because I always get everything anyway. Am I answering your question? Absolutely. And you reminded me as a teacher, the last day of the quarter was always a nightmare because you would not believe, well, maybe you would believe actually, the number of kids that would come in having not done the work and asking for mercy and asking for us as teachers to make an exception because if they don't get an A in choir, then that's going to bring their GPA down and they're not going to be able to, you know, be in honor society or something ridiculous like that. Even worse is the parent coming in with the child and asking for mercy. Right. The, the parent sh should be looking at you as the teacher and going, 
good for you. <laughs> That's the best way to prepare your child for real life. Sometimes we call them natural consequences that occur as a result of a child's poor decision-making. The more you buffer a, a consequence for your child, the less learning is going to take place. And you as a parent shouldn't be surprised uh, when your child isn't, isn't learning how to be a responsible adult if you've been buffering consequences like that for them. I love to use the example with parents when they're dealing out uh, discipline I, to an adolescent child. I say, your role model is the police officer. And sadly, I've had many experiences with what I'm about to describe. <laughs> when I'm breaking the law in my car, the police officer pulls me over, comes to my window, and in a very professional voice says, can I see your license, registration, and proof of insurance, sir? And I hand the officer these things, and they ask me the question, do you know what you did wrong? And if I have a brain, I'm going to answer the question honestly. Uh, if I was real honest, I'd have to say, well, how long have you been following me? <laughs> <laughs> they just make sure that I know what I did wrong. They hand me my consequence and say, have a nice day. No big lectures. They don't look in the backseat and say, you could have killed all your children or blah, blah, blah. I've never had that happen. And ideally, that's the way parents deal with it because at age 15, the kid knows the lecture already. <laughs> you don't need to tell them. But you just want to make sure they know what they did wrong. Yeah, I think this is such important information to get out there. Um, there are so many parents who really do want to shelter their children from anything hard and anything sad. And that, like you said, can have some long-term consequences that I don't think a parent, if they really understood, would want for their child. Arguing in the parent's defense, as a parent of five, uh, it is the hardest thing to let your child experience a consequence of their behavior. Because as a parent, your your primary role is to protect my child from, from negative experience. And yet, I'm arguing a good parent allows the child to experience a consequence. I'll, I'll tell a story on one of my kids <laughs> who will remain nameless. Um, the... Uh, she was driving. She didn't pay attention and crashed the car. I came. I saw the, the car and uh, dealt with the, the police officer. And I just sat her down and said, you know, sucks. I said, uh, you look so much brighter than your father. Uh, I did that three times before I figured out that I shouldn't do that. This is your first time. I hope you learn. There is a $500 deductible on our insurance, and you're going to pay that. And I feel badly uh, about that, but that's part of the adult world. That's part of the adult consequence when you wreck the car. Uh, any questions? She looked at me, she said, no. I said, great. It was so hard for me to make her pay that $500. But at the same time, it was so good for her to pay that $500. Uh, 
because it caused her to take her driving a lot more seriously from that point forward. That's a really excellent example. And also, I like that you illustrated just showing some compassion as well and showing some empathy saying, you know, I, I did that myself. And I think you'll be smarter than I was and, and just kind of not shaming her into feeling like she was a horrible person for what she had done. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Shame and guilt really have no place as a consequence um, because usually the child feels bad enough already. And if they don't at the time, they will when they pay that 500 bucks. Right. Well, so let's say that, you know, all of the things that you outlined in the beginning of our conversation about a child, that they have a lot of indicators that they may need some help professionally. What can you tell us about choosing a mental health professional to help uh, your child or yourself? Again, uh, there, uh, if you're looking at a biologic uh, cause, uh, you want a, a psychiatrist. Uh, this is a person who's a medical doctor who specializes in medications that can treat brain chemistry issues and other kinds of physical issues that might be causing the mood or the poor decision-making. Today, there are some fascinating ways that they that they prescribe. I, I believe it's genetic testing that they use. I, I may be using that term inappropriately, but today they will draw blood. They will uh, use saliva. They'll use any number of different ways to uh, figure out which a psychotropic medication is a medication that affects mood, for those that don't know what that means. But they can test to see which ones might be most effective for you. The psychological helps the individual understand why they're acting the way they do. And psychological isn't only covered by psychologists. These would be any, any uh, discipline that does talk therapy, the psychologist, the marriage and family therapist, the social worker, the, the LPC licensed professional counselor. Uh, all of these individuals are trained uh, to help people. The goal of Mental Illness in Me is to normalize the mental health conversation and help those who suffer feel less alone. Your support is critical to raise awareness and help as many people as possible. If this podcast resonates with you, please follow our Instagram account, Mental Illness in Me KT, our Facebook page, Mental Illness in Me, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email mentalillnessandmekt at gmail.com.